Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Church of Corinth was in the middle of exactly like you and I are. The, the, the culture was exactly like we are. The, it's a very large city, about 500,000 people. Uh, very worldly city. Uh, crime was m- much more rampant. Divorce was much more rampant. Uh, murders were much more rampant. Uh, Corinth had two ports. They were on a small isthmus in between two major seas. And so uh, you would pull into one port. They would, unload your, they would unload your cargo, and they would use another port. So it's got two ports in it. So even sexual sins in this town was much more rampant than we would see in America. They actually had a uh, temple to Aphrodite that had a thousand temple prostitutes. And Paul writes a letter to this church teaching them how to grow from milk to meat, how to grow from spiritual beginnings to truly be a mature believer, even in the context of which they were. Now, if you're a guest with us, if you're new to River Valley, if you're exploring Christianity, the book of 1 Corinthians is going to help you understand how you can thrive in the world in which you live right now. I think a lot of people think, well, I'll just get by if I could just make it through, if I could just sort of skate into it. And the book of 1 Corinthians is going to show you with Jesus Christ, you can truly thrive. You can truly succeed and overcome. And so even if you're a non-believer today, this book has so much relevance for you. So we're going to look today at the starting point of the equipment that God gives us or the tools that God gives us in order to thrive in the place that he's put us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 4, and we're going to do them verse by verse today. So 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 1, 4 through 6. Put that up there, please. All right. So Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Jesus Christ. That you are enriched in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. Verse 6 says, in this way the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. So he's going to start out today say, one of the tools, the equipment that you have is your testimony. Is what God has done in your life. Your testimony is the story of God intersecting into your life and the outcome of that. So you start your testimony with, this is where I was. This is who I was. But all of a sudden, God interjected. God showed up in the middle. And because of that, I am going someplace different. Because of who I was and God interjected, now it's who I'm becoming and what God has done in my life. And so you and I have a testimony. And the Bible says, we just read, he says, it confirms the validity of Christ in you. I think we're going to run across some people that's like, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't believe in Jesus, but they cannot argue with Jesus in you, and what Jesus has done in your life, and how much he has changed. And we start out the same way they do. We start out with the pain of the past. We start out with the, this is what was like. I was, I was going along so good, and then we went to the doctor. And all of a sudden, the pain of the things that are around us. And we're like Christians. We as Christians, we understand that. And we resonate with that. But here's the difference. When God interjects in his life, when you are in the world, you have the pain of the past. But then you have the pressures of today. And we live in a world that it feels like everyone is doing well. And there's so much pressure 
to perform. There's so much pressure to do it right. There's so much pressure to have everything going on. And when we don't do it well, it leads to this pessimism of the future. But in, we have hope in Jesus Christ. So let me give you an illustration. If I say the word maverick to you, you automatically go to the danger zone with Tom Cruise. I get it, all right? But, but that word has an origin that I didn't know about. It's from this man, Samuel Maverick. Samuel Maverick moved to Texas in 1835 when the winds of revolution and the Texas Revolution were beginning. He's a real man. I, I didn't know that. I never thought about it. The word maverick today uh, means someone who's independent, someone who doesn't follow the crowd, thinks their own way. Well, maverick early in his life, or in this point, was very much that way. He moved to San Antonio, and nobody was buying or selling anything because they knew a war was coming, and they didn't know who was going to win. So you might buy something and just be taken away. But maverick bought a bunch of land in the middle of that, and he did something very unique. He didn't brand his cattle. And so the word maverick initially meant an unbranded cow. Some people think he was a genius because if they found a stray cow that wasn't branded, he'd go, that's mine. So I think that's pretty smart. But, but probably he just didn't really care that much. So he did fight uh, at the Alamo, but he didn't die at the Alamo. And the reason was, as the men of the Alamo got together and they decided that they needed a representative at Washington on the Brazos to sign the, declaration, the Texas Declaration of Independence. So they sent Maverick, Samuel Maverick, as their representative. So he fought in the Alamo, but he did not die with the rest of those. So, uh, you know, as, as uh, Texas won uh, later on, uh, Samuel Maverick became the uh, mayor of San Antonio and thrived there and did very well. About six years after the Texas Revolution, Santa Ana is back in Mexico and decides he wants to come again and take what he feels like is rightfully his and has been stolen from him. So he sends a large army, almost a thousand men, back across the border into San Antonio. So Maverick sends his family up to LaGrange, right by us, and then goes back to prepare an army in San Antonio. Well, the, the Mexican army is almost a thousand strong. He has 57 men. He gets 57 men, so they are quickly overcome. And Samuel Maverick is now a prisoner, and they take him deep into Mexico. And for months on end, they torture him. He lives in a prison cell. He is shackled to the wall. And all along the way, they say, if you will just sign this piece of paper— that renounces all of, uh, all of Texas as being an independent nation at that point and giving back to Mexico and swearing allegiance to Mexico, then we'll release you. Samuel Maverick never did. Finally, through some negotiations, he is freed after months of this torture. And as he's leaving his cell, he says, can I ask, he asked the man who was guarding him, can I ask you for one thing? And the man says, what? And he says, I want these. And he pulls up some chains that were next to the wall, and he pulls up his shackles, and he says, I want to take those home. And the guard asks, why? And he said, because I will never take freedom for granted again. I will always carry these chains. And so I'm going to show you a picture of an icon of, of Maverick that I love. Some of it's the, the cow in the background that's unbranded, but look at this icon. And this is the way we actually think of it, because he carries this chain around, and everywhere he's able to say to people, I understand. I know what it's like to be in handcuffs. I know what it's like to be in chains, but I carry these around and they're no longer on me. And I understand freedom. And your testimony does that. Your testimony carries around the scars of your past, but you say, I now value freedom in Christ. I understand who you are. I understand what you've been through, but now I understand even more so because I was enslaved how much and how valuable freedom is.
That's what we get to do in our testimony in Jesus Christ. I understand. I really do. But here's what God does. God can turn your test into a testimony. God can turn your mess into a message. Your testimony is powerful. So I want you this week uh, in River Valley and all of our groups, you're going to start working on your testimony. You're going to start working on your story of what you were, who you were before Jesus and his intervention, and then what you are becoming after that. And I want you to truly have it down because the Bible verse says, when we just read it, he will enrich you in speech and knowledge. If you will really work through this speech, then all of a sudden he'll give you the knowledge of where to use it. He'll put people in your path that need exactly what you're going through, exactly what you've been through, and you have that ready so that you can say, my testimony is validation of Jesus Christ in my life, and it can be in yours as well. We carry around our chains. So God gives us a testimony. Number two, look at verse seven. What does God give us next? It says in verse seven, so that you do not lack any spiritual gifts, you eagerly wait for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you don't lack any spiritual gifts, every single spiritual gift you have. Now, we have to understand this in context. Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. So he's not saying you have all the spiritual gifts and you have all the spiritual gifts. Imagine Jesus, I think in his actual language, when he says, y'all got everything you need. That's the way he talks right there. So he's, he says, y'all, it, it's, 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 it's not you all or you guys, those no, no, it's, it's y'all. Y'all have everything you need. You have a gift, and you have a gift, and you have a gift, and you have a gift. And when we all come together, the church of Jesus Christ has everything we need. Every single thing that we need. So Jesus gives us each spiritual gifts. And when you use them in the church, and you use them for his glory, then we are strong together. So let me give you another illustration. In August 1944, the war in uh, Europe is greatly turning. Uh, Germany is on the retreat in the east from the Americans. It is on the retreat from the west from the Russians coming in. They're, they're sandwiched in the middle. And as the Russians come into Romania, Romania was initially allied with the Germans. But as they're about halfway through uh, Romania, Romania switches sides. And all of a sudden goes from being an access uh, to an allied power. And so they switch sides. And so as the Germans are being, are being pushed out of their country, they ally with the, the Russians and with America. Now this made for an interesting situation because there are over a thousand POWs in Romania. Mostly Army Air Force pilots who were, who were shot down. And so they just release them, but they don't send them home. They just release them because they've got enough problems. So now you've got all of these men, and they're free, but then they're in the middle of Romania with no ability. And so a problem existed. They were afraid, our Americans uh, were afraid. What would happen is as Germans retreated, that they would get these, they would recapture these prisoners of war and just send them to another prison camp. Or as the Russians came in, they would take them and they would use them in bargaining after the war for their release, and it would take a long time. So these men are stuck there. So one of the, one of the men who was, who was uh, captured, his name was Lieutenant Colonel uh, James Gunn, and James Gunn said, I will get us home. So he walks to the nearest military base, and he actually meets Romania's number one flying ace. 
And he meets this man and he says, I want you to fly me to American occupied land so that we can get these men rescued. And the man says, I, I will. But he says, I, I fly a Messerschmitt. As soon as they see this German aircraft, they're going to shoot it down. He said, it'll be fine. He paints an American flag on the side. He said, I think they'll know. And so they paint an American flag on the side of a German plane and fly into an American compound. They almost shoot them down and they're like, He's got an American flag. Maybe something's up. Well, sure enough, they come in. Uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Gunn, he talks to General Twining, who's in charge of all the 15th Air Force. And he says, we've got over 1,000 men. And, and General Twining said, what can we do? We have no transports. And he said, you have B-17s. Let me show you a picture of a B-17. Isn't that pretty? I love that plane. So that's called the Flying Fortress. And they had over 50 B-17s. And he said, let's do this. So they strip. The reason they call it the Flying Fortress is look at all the gun turrets all the way around. They strip out all of the guns. Of course, they don't load them with bombs. They don't put the full crew in there so that they can go and they can land and they can pick up 20 American POWs at a time and fly them out to safety. So they begin this rotation for three days flying in, these 57 aircraft flying in with no protection, with no guns, flying in and picking up 20 POWs at a time until at last 1,274 uh, POWs are now free and in Italy and getting medical help and will eventually be rotated back to the United States. Now, here's the, here's the question. Who's the hero of the story? Is it the men who suffered and still served well while they were POWs? Is it Lieutenant Colonel Gunn who went and found freedom? Is it the Romanian pilot who, who flew him? Is it the men who flew the B-17s unarmed back into harm's way? Is it the ground crews who helped them unload? Is it the medical staff afterwards who takes care of all of these? Who's the hero of the story? The answer is all of them. All of them. When you have a gift and you have an ability and you have a unique talent and you use it together, then we see the world change drastically. You have every spiritual gift that we need in this room. So the question is, number one, what's your gift? What's your gift? And number two, how are you using it? How are you using it? Listen, you find out your spiritual gift. That verse says, through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let God begin to work in you. Let God begin to show you. Just ask God, what do you want me to do? And then here's what you need to do. You need to start serving. Now, probably you're not going to find your spiritual gift right off the bat. You're going to find some things that you're like, that is not my gift. In fact, I don't even like those people. That's okay, all right? Everybody does it. Every, I mean, you find out your spiritual gift sometimes by finding out what is not your spiritual gift. But along the way, all of a sudden, you're going to get an opportunity when you're really searching for it. You're going to get an opportunity, and you're like, man, I was born for this. I'm good at that. Like, it just, it felt effortless. And, and it wasn't that I was the best speaker or the best teacher or the best leader, but the results are uncanny. It's spiritual in nature. That's what a spiritual gift is. And you and I using it together in this place is unbelievably powerful in the kingdom of God. So God gave you a testimony, and God gave you a spiritual gift, and God gave us all of the spiritual gifts. Number three, what did God give us so that we could thrive in this world? 
In verse uh, 8 says this. Verse 8 says, he will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God promises believers that he, when he leaves, he will strengthen them when? To the very end. He will strengthen you all the way through till you are blameless. Nobody would stand up today and say, I am blameless. But you can say, I am being strengthened today, and I'll be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, and I'll be more like him in a year than I was today. God strengthens. He promises that he will strengthen you along the way. Now, this is good news, isn't it? It's really good news if you are my age, middle age, or older, okay? Because the Bible says our bodies are wasting away. So if you are my age or older, chances are at one time you have had a friend and you're like, oh, and you're like, what's wrong? And you're like, I don't know. I hurt myself sleeping. Yeah, I mean, you're just like, I don't even understand. I had a friend one time and he hurt his arm. I said, what were you doing? He said, I was doing a sport. I found out later he's playing foosball. I mean, you're you're like, that's that's not a sport. And it's definitely not an injury prone sport, but but you get it. You, You know, you get it. And so... We're wasting away, but the Bible says, but we are being strengthened in the inner man. In the inner life, God is strengthening us. God is growing us. We are more like Jesus. I've got a friend in my community group right now, and he is so fun to watch because he's growing by leaps and bounds. Now, I don't think he feels like he's growing by leaps and bounds because that's not really how it works. You're, when you're around it all the time, you don't feel yourself growing. So I told him one day, I said, you know what you remind me of? You remind me of, of a teenager in like the seventh grade. Do you remember when you were a teenager and your, your knees would hurt sometimes and you would wake up in the middle of the night with a Charlie horse and you would eat everything within sight? Like your parents were like, look, if we don't feed them, we're afraid that they're going to eat the other children. I mean, they just, you know, it's crazy. And, and so what do you do? You're, you're eating and your parents are like, man, I think you're really grown, but they're around you every day. And then you go to see your grandparents and they haven't seen you in months. And they're like, oh my goodness. You're so much taller. You're so much bigger. And you are growing crazy. In fact, I remember at my grandparents' house, I don't know if y'all did this, but, but we had like a mark, marks on the wall from when we went different times. And they'd go, come out to the garage. And they could go, look, in six months, you've grown an inch and a half. You are, I mean, and you could just see growing and, and progressing. And that's what I see in him. You are growing and progressing. I don't feel like I, I can see it. God is strengthening you. And I mean, it's so fun to watch. And he told me the other day, he said, said, I had a man who's known me a long time that I work with come up to me and say, you're different. Something's different about you. You are being strengthened. You are growing in your faith. And when you begin to use your spiritual gift, when you begin to use the spiritual journey, in fact, here's our plan for how to grow you. Let me show you what we call the connection. The connections are we love, we grow, we give, we go. For some of you, you just need to really dig in and commit to being a part of River Valley on a weekly basis in your worship. Man, really and truly worshiping Jesus and all that he has in his fullness, you will grow in that. Love is is our groups and our connection with each other. You grow best spiritually when you are connected relationally. When you are connected with other Christians who can encourage you, who can comfort you, who can take up slack where you're not strong, man, it is wonderful. And then you've got to learn how to grow yourself, man, in your own Bible study, your own prayer life, and, and really and truly letting God speak to you directly. Our giving, that we give sacrificially so that the Word of God goes forward. 
And then our going. We just talked about spiritual gifts. Using your gifts in the kingdom of God for God to grow. When you do those things all simultaneous together, you grow. And you don't always feel it, but others see it around you. And you look back from a year. You look back from two years and you go, I can't believe how much I've grown. I can't believe how much God has done. He wants to do that to the very end of your life. So God gave you a testimony. God gave you a spiritual gifts and us as a church, all the spiritual gifts. And God promises, I will strengthen you. I will grow you. But in verse 9, he says the calling for all of us. Verse 9, he says this. He says, God is faithful. God does this work. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. God is calling you into fellowship with his son. Every single one of us, if you have mature relationship, he still wants to go deeper. But for those of you who don't have a relationship in Jesus Christ, he's calling you into a fellowship with who? His son, Jesus Christ. Today is Easter. Jesus is alive. God was crucified on the cross. The Bible says for our sins. God was buried in the tomb on Saturday. But Sunday morning, Jesus came alive and he's calling you into a fellowship. He's calling you to know that God. He's calling you to have a relationship with the risen, resurrected Jesus Christ. Not a dead God who's lying lifeless on a cross or buried in a tomb, but an alive God who sits on the throne and sees us and strengthens us and promises, I will come again. He's calling you into fellowship. I think for some of us, what what we do is is you've got a picture of Jesus that's maybe partially true by something he did in his life, but it's not fully true by all that he did. Especially on this line of the resurrection. God is calling you into a, fellow, a relationship with him with fellowship of a resurrected son of God. So here's how I want us to end today. I want you guys to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. God is calling you today into fellowship with his resurrected son, Jesus Christ. God wants you to have a relationship with his son. Sometimes we think God, that we should have a relationship with this powerless God who was drugged to a cross. But you are called to fellowship with Jesus Christ. You are called into fellowship with him who says, all power and authority has been given to me. Sometimes I think we think that we are called into a relationship only with the sheep that was led to the slaughter. But Jesus is resurrected today. Jesus is a lion ruling over his domain today. You're called into fellowship with him. Sometimes we think we are called into fellowship with the suffering servant, but Jesus has been resurrected, and Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's calling you into fellowship today with him. Sometimes we think we are called into fellowship with the God who was crucified on a cross on a Friday as the crowds yelled out, crucify him. But he is calling you today, and he says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is calling you into a fellowship today with a alive, resurrected God. Our God is alive. Come into fellowship with him today. Amen. Come into fellowship. Come in. Come in. Let's bow our heads and let's pray right here. Some of you, this is your story. Every time you move, every time you wiggle, you're reminded of the chains. You're reminded of your sin. Jesus 
frees us. He's no longer in the tomb. He takes our sin away. Today, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then there are people all around you that can testify that He wants to free you from your sin. You might carry your shackles to remind you of how great it is to be free, but you are not shackled anymore. Today, won't you give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord? Let Him forgive your sins, take you out of prison, and set you free. If that's you today, if you've never asked Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, then right where you are today, ask Christ to come into your life. Confess that the reason you're in chains is because of your sin. But ask Jesus to set you free. And believe that on this Sunday, Jesus isn't lifeless on a cross. Jesus isn't lying limp in a tomb. Jesus is alive and resurrected. He sits on the throne and he will come back to receive his people. Today, ask the resurrected Christ. Say, I want to have fellowship with you. I want you to be my Lord. For those of you who are believers today, thank him that you can grow from milk to meat. You can be a mature Christian in the world in which you live right now. Regardless of what is surrounding you or who is surrounding you, Jesus has given you a testimony, a story of his intervention in your life and how you're becoming more like him. Jesus has given you spiritual gifts or, uh, and you can use them for the kingdom to go forward. Jesus is strengthening you today, right where you are, so that you can grow in your faith in Christ. Lord Jesus, for those who are being saved, we thank you. For those being set free from the shackles of their past, I thank you. God, for those who have a testimony of overcoming addiction in Jesus Christ, of overcoming failure because of your resurrection, of overcoming hardships that other people perpetuated upon them, Father, I thank you for those testimonies. God, I thank you for the gifts that you've given us in this room. May we use them for your glory. God, and I ask you today to strengthen us in Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.